Ready to kick this off? Absolutely. All right. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Great Things with Great Tech. My name's Anthony Spatier and this podcast is all about highlighting companies doing great things with great technology. And in this episode, we're talking to Tim Davies, DevOps advocate at M0. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. And, you know, before we get into M0 and talking about something you guys are doing differently, delivered as software as a service, I want to first give a shout out like we always do on these things. Uh, if you like great things with great tech and would like to feature on future episodes, you can click on the show notes or go to launch.gtwgt.com and register your interest. Once again, all episodes are on the GTWGT YouTube channel. Um, so please subscribe. There's a little icon at the bottom over there. Um, if you haven't subscribed yet, looking to build that up still. Um, also, if you prefer to consume this on the podcast, we're on all the great podcasts channeled hosted via Anchor. So, you know, keep up to date with all the future episodes and the 18 previous episodes. So with that out of the way, Tim, let's talk about automation and infrastructure as code and all that great stuff, right? Um, mm -hmm. When I saw that you had moved to M0, I got really excited because um, when I saw what the company was doing, I was like, that is close to my heart. You know, infrastructure as code, automation has been a big part of um, a lot of what we have been doing in the sort of what you'd call the VMware community. There's been a, a mm -hmm. great sort of push to infrastructure as code. And, you know, M0 is, is right there, but doing things a little bit differently. Um, so before we get into talking about all that kind of stuff, why don't we just start a little bit with the company history of M0? But let's start with sure. the name first. Tell me about the name, M0. <laughs> yeah, and this is a, it's an interesting one. Um, I, th I think out of everything, when I'm talking to customers or I'm, you know, doing interviews or podcasts or what have you, the number one piece of feedback I get is, your name is hard to say. <laughs> and I mean, it definitely can be. I mean, M0 and it's ENV and then the number zero. Yes. Um, <clears throat> We needed something that nobody else was using. It's uh, it's very recognizable, um, and it's kind of a, a, a an homage, if you will, to our friends at Auth Zero. Okay, there you go. Okay, I get that. That's interesting. And I guess when I look at it, and when you expand it, Environment Zero, it's like yep. for me, we'll get into what the company is doing, but I think it fits with you know your mission statement and what you guys are trying to achieve, right? So, and it's pretty cool. Exactly so right. it's N Zero E N V with the with the numeric zero not the sort of letter zero so it's that's cool, right it's a cool play as well yeah I, I actually don't find it hard to pronounce but i can see how people would you know get a little bit confused by it especially with that yeah. zero um so this company was founded it's, it's another fresh one i've been doing a few sort of newer startups of late um my first few episodes a lot of the companies were like founded in, in the 90s uh, one was in the 80s. Oh, wow. and yeah. So, you know, it's good to be doing some some true innovative startups, right? Um, which is what I love talking to as well. Um, so it was founded in 2018. Um, maybe just give a little bit of the information about the founding, mostly because the CEO, I'm having trouble pronouncing that last name. And I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, and uh, we were founded in 2018 by our CEO, Ohad Meislish, and our CTO, Omri Hay. Um, and it, it kind of came about out of necessity. Um, so Ohad had a services company um, and they were working on helping other customers to, you know, deploy environments, manage environments and things like that. And they started to see a really huge shift towards infrastructure as code. 
Um, lots of folks are going that way. It's an easy way to kind of templatize and be able to cookie cutter out your environments. It allows you to change from developing in static environments to dynamic environments. But really, there wasn't a lot of tools out there to kind of help you manage those deployments, manage the environments after the deployment. Um, I mean, you know, you know, you and I know, and a lot of folks know that like in the VMware space with cloud management platforms and things like that, it's kind of a necessity to run at scale. Um, but there just wasn't an answer for that really for the infrastructure as code space. Uh, so that's kind of what drove OHA and Omri to get together and create M0. And uh, it, it seems to be a space that's, it is very new, but it's also growing. Um, we all know the Terraform is kind of the... Uh, yeah the industry standard for infrastructure fact, is coded uh, at this yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. And Terraform cloud exists. There's also a couple of other folks in the space. Um, we don't have a Gartner magic quadrant at this point. I think not it's yet, something that they're yet, looking into. It definitely could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely think you're going to see that going forward. And in fact, it, it's a new space and there's a, a guy out there named Eric Osterman who has a, a, a company called sweet ops and he does office hours once a week. And he had us on, plus a few of our other uh, you know, folks that, in the space. Yeah. He uh, he coined the term tacos, which I thought was hilarious, and I love it. And it's a Terraform automation and collaboration software. Yes. Um, and I, I, I've been using that since then, um, yeah, okay. simply because it makes sense, because there's not a lot of ways to describe what space we're in. Yeah. Um, and the fact that that, that name, uh, you know, I love me some tacos, so uh, it's stuck with me and I've been using yeah, it. Yeah, it's not quite Tuesday, it's Thursday, but you could have tacos on a, on a <laughs> uh, thing as well. Hey, so collaborative remote workflow management, that's kind of what you do, right? For cloud yeah. deployments. Um, right. Because, and I guess now we can start to talk a little bit about the, the problem in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. well, why you guys exist, right? So infrastructure as code, like we know, has been around for a long, for, well, for a while now. Um, it's mainstreamed definitely in the last sort of three to four years and become extremely popular. Um, for the longest of times, it was kind of the, the DevOps only space, right? And, the, and they kind of held onto that quite proudly right. and tightly and didn't want to let it go. Um, and even you see today, there's, there's still a big sort of disconnect between DevOps that have, you know, come up from a different world to what sort of you and I came through and others right. who listen to show and whatnot, which is more like traditional infrastructure, which kind of we're, we're kind of almost stumbled into automation and infrastructure as code, right? And I, I never forget. Right, exactly. Um, there's one guy back at VMware who worked in Australia, probably in 20, I want to say 2014, just when I started playing with like Docker um, on, my, on my MacBook, he says, HashiCorp, remember the name. And I'm like, okay, so how we go. And I, it was always, really? yeah, who would have known, right? So he was very prophetic in that. And, you know, but Terraform for me came into play with, oh, sorry, HashiCorp came into play with me with Terraform. I started to use it and I fell in love yeah. with it. And that's what really gave me a renewed sense of vigor in this infrastructure's code space. And I was looking at how can I automate things that I had manually done before. And then collaboratively speaking, and this is where I think it plugs into M0, how do I take that and apply it to say my work environment, our labs, where I know for us, we've got to deploy, you know, labs really quickly. We're tear them up, tear them down. We get beta code. Um, how can we apply, right. deploy, sorry, apply automation to that to be able to make our lives better and easier. We can do it with infrastructure as code, but collaboratively speaking, it's still a very individual thing, right? You do your thing. Exactly. The right. Their thing. They might deploy something. You might know this, not know the state of it. They might deploy something similar. So there's all these problems that exist with that disconnected 
infrastructure as code play. So this is yeah. where I think M0 comes into play. So just talk a little bit about what problems M0 is actually solving in the space. Gotcha. And you, you know, you pretty much just laid out all of the problem statements that you have with infrastructure as code. Um, and it all comes down to visibility and governance and control. Um, when you have everybody running Terraform in a decentralized state, you have no idea what their state file looks like. You have no idea who deployed what, where, and why. Um, it's difficult to possibly see how much it's costing you. Um, from a management perspective, it can be difficult. That's why a lot of folks are moving towards centralizing their Terraform runs yep. um, with products like M0. Um, and that all kind of allows you to have a centralized platform where everybody can log in. You can do all of your runs from there. Um, everybody has the ability to see what other people are doing when they did, if there was a change in state, if there's a problem. Um, so it, it really just, even without M0, just centralizing where all of your Terraform is executed from yeah. can help you solve a lot of those problems. Yeah. And I guess that's where HashiCorp came up with the Terraform cloud um, model, right. right? Where that was kind of that first step where they, and I've, I've tried to use it once or twice when it first came out. I, I wasn't very successful. <laughs> I actually found it a bit clunky um, in terms of what it, what it did and how it does its thing. Um, and I guess to a certain extent, that's where M0 can come in and actually kind of almost re replace the, the, the theory of that and make it easier. And right. you know, from what I've seen from the demos, um, you know, the, inf the interface that you guys have is very intuitive. Um, it's basically a, a SaaS offering, right? So it's a, you know, self-service developer teams, governance, cloud deployment platform for that infrastructure as code. Is that, that's pretty much what it is, right? Right. Exactly right. And, you know, we, we have our SaaS offering also now as of, you know, the past couple of weeks, we also have the ability to do self-hosted agents so that okay, you can keep nice. your secrets and stuff within your accounts. Um, but yeah, really, we're, we're just trying to bring everybody together. We're giving more visibility. We're giving more governance and uh, kind of making sure that, you know, all of your infrastructure's code is managed in an easy spot. Okay. Um, so somewhat, so me myself, so just say that I'm the, I'm the infrastructure guy because I'm the infrastructure guy mm -hmm. and then I'm working with my developers and then we've got some uh, project leads, right? So this is very typical of, you know, when I was working back at yeah. the service provider, when we used to create products, this is effectively, you know, the team that we had, right? So, you know, if we had a, um, a, a lab environment and then we had production and staging, so we have three levels of environments. If we were looking to do mm -hmm. dev work, you know, and I was looking to basically run the run the infrastructure and then hand off to the developer to do the automation and then the product manager needed overall access and view, view of it. Is that something that can be done yep. by Infthera? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, we have some built-in role-based access control. Um, our, our hierarchy kind of looks three tiers. So we have the organization level, which is the top level for that. Then we have projects underneath that. And then we have actual environments underneath the projects. Okay. Um, at an organization level, we have two forms of role-based access control. We have user and admin. Um, so they either have access to the organization settings or they don't. At the project level, that's when you can start getting a little more granular with your role-based access control. We have viewer, planner, deployer, and admin. Viewer okay. is pretty self-explanatory. That kind of shows you that they can look around and see what's happening. A planner, um, since they go along with kind of the Terraform constructs, they're able to kick off a deployment, but it's going to stop after the Terraform plan phase because they oh. don't have the approval in order to okay. go through and actually, you know, 
change cloud resources. Deployer and admin are basically the same thing, except the admin has access to the project settings and everything as well. And a deployer can just go through and approve a deployment to change the cloud resources. All right. So you've got approval and workflow built into this as well. That's, that's exactly actually really right. cool. So, so typically when, when you run a Terraform um, in it, and it's everything, mm-hmm. downloads all the bits, then you typically do a plan and plan tells you, yep, you're all good. It's going to deploy. Okay. We're, we're, we're sweet. And then the approved part, go ahead and actually do what we've talked about. Right. So you're saying that right. with M0, you can basically put some checks and balances in there to make sure that the right people are approving that actionable apply. So Exactly right. Bam. Okay. And I guess. And we also have it set up where like with the different projects, you can set up different levels of roles. So if you want your developers to have access to the platform, you can give them full deployer access into the development environments, but then they're only going to have planner for the uh, production environments. Then if you add in some notification targets to either Slack or Teams, whoever is part of the deployer group, they don't even have to be hanging out in the UI. They get a Slack notification that says, hey, you have an environment that's waiting for approval. They click the link. It brings you right to it. They look at the Terraform plan, say it's all good and hit the button. Wow. That's that's really cool. <laughs> like this is, I'm really <laughs> starting to see like the, the benefit of this, right? Um, and the yeah, it's it's amazing from that point of view because control my my whole thing about automation DevOps infrastructure as code is that coming from where I've come from, I don't want to give the devs too much, you know, freedom because exactly you give a dev freedom <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're running up like a thousand dollar per minute AWS bill. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I have done that before through some silly actions of myself. Um, it's very well known and very much out there. Oh yeah, like people like to remind me of that all the time. Maybe if I had this, I wouldn't have done that um, because I would have. Because actually, let's be honest, this is exactly what it's there for, right? Because right in my situation, and this is like, I'm hitting a really cool use case here, right? In my situation, I had put in the in the plan in, in the actual Terraform code my AWS secret and secret key. Okay. It was, it was open, right? It was there. Mm-hmm. And so when I uploaded that code and did the commit and the push up to GitHub, it was like, yep, there we go. So this potentially would have put a check in there to go, yeah, let's make sure. Is it all good? No, don't do that. You know, and then don't approve. Yeah. Fix your problem and then basically go through that approval process. And it really helps to solve some of the human elements. Like with the way that we manage secrets, um, you don't have to commit your AWS keys into GitHub yeah. um, and uh, pull a Sean O'Dell shout out, Sean, who did that for our team and then bought scrape GitHub. And 20 minutes later, you've got $5,000 worth of Bitcoin miners mm-hmm. spun up in your account. Um, but it also stops from a human error of accidentally, you know, adding a couple of zeros to how many instances you need. Yeah. Um, Cause you may you only want one instead of 10 or a hundred instances. So it really gives you the approval or the ability to have that approval step, not just because you don't trust them, but just it possibly could stop an accident from happening. Yeah, yeah, cool. So before we go into you know, a bit more of the custom flows and some of the autom- you know, that, that sort of the tagging and you know how you guys have actually added that into the into the product, um, talk about the how you integrate Terraform, you know, so integrally into the platform. Now I know that from what I've read, Terraform is there at the start because it's the mm-hmm. most popular, it's a de facto standard, but right. you effectively built this thing to plug into, into more automation and infrastructure as code tools moving forward. But Terraform right. is it at the moment. But just explain to me how 
you know, if you've got like your Terraform code sitting on GitHub, how does that interact with M0 SaaS application to do all the stuff that we've talked about? Sure, exactly right. So you have your GitHub, you have your Terraform files, um, or even your TerraGrunt, which we also support natively right now. Okay, TerraGrunt. Um, yeah. And with that, you create what's called a template. And a template for us is just, you know, you point us at the repository, you tell us what kind of app or what it is. You you can set a template based on a specific feature branch. Um, and then there's also, you point us at the folder. So if you have a big mono repo app and your Terraform is in a subfolder or you're using certain sub modules, then you point us at what that is. Then inside of the project, that's when you select for a new environment deployment and you tell it what template you would like to use. Okay. Um, and with that, again, you can specify the main branch or a feature branch or a PR yep. branch, you know, really whichever you want. And that's how we go through and pull that into our runtime container to yep. execute the uh, the Terraform apply. Okay, so you've pulled all the information and then at the time that, you know, in between that step, can you input and select different variables and data sources and all that through the, the environment? Exactly right. So we have um, variables that are environment variables, as well as Terraform variables, and those are scoped at four different levels in M0. They can be at the organization level, at the project level, at the template level, and then the individual environment level. And this really gives you the ability to not repeat your work. So if you have the same variable that's going to be across the whole org, you do it once and it inherits down. Right. Okay, cool. So, okay, that's awesome. So then if you've got a couple of different teams and you, you know that you've got a dev environment, you just want to basically select, a, say, a smaller AWS instance versus you know, T, T2 Micro versus a T2, whatever it might be. Exactly so right. So you've got those options there. That's really cool there. And, and again, based on what level you come in at and what project you have access to is what you get defined and what you have access to. Exactly. And you can scope it down to where they can inject their own variables, or if you want it to where they only have a drop down of three choices and that's it, you can set that as well. Awesome. It's all about, again, I'm harping back to this control for the DevOps. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah. Peace out to all the DevOps out there that are listening to this. Um, <laughs> Custom flows. So this is a differentiator, right? So talk a little bit about yeah. custom flows as it, as it pertains to M0, what they are and what benefit they offer um, the customers. Sure. This is this is what I call our secret sauce. And this is uh, our essentially unlimited extensibility. This is a YAML file that you drop into your repository called m0.yaml. And you essentially can hook in anything you want at any stage you want. So if you want to put some specific code before the Terraform init or after the variables are loaded, uh, you want to do something before or after the Terraform apply or before or after the state is stored, um, it allows you to write that structure and then put in your commands, which is done in bash. Um, and it'll allow you to execute pretty much whatever you want. So our runtime container has a bunch of stuff built into it. You know, all of the cloud CLIs, kubectl and stuff like that for accessing Kubernetes. But that's not the only thing. If you want to pip install something into the container or you want to do a bash install to run specific things, you can do that. Uh, One of the main use cases we see is that after the Terraform outputs, once everything is built, we see users that are adding in Ansible and then doing their configuration management on the infrastructure that you just deployed after the fact right there within the deploy pipeline. Yes. And I've, I've been beginning, well, I must admit the last few months I've kind of, I've, I've taken some time off over, over Christmas. So I've kind of lost a bit of my mojo with regards to automation, <laughs> you know, over the last yeah. couple of months. And it's one of those things that you have to stay 
you know, you know this, you got to stay really in tune oh, yeah. with it to keep with it. And after a few months off, you get very rusty very quickly, right? Um, but what we were doing last year, we were trying to basically, you know, I was trying to deploy VMs at Terraform. Then after the fact, I was trying to kick in some Ansible or some PowerShell within Terraform, um, WinRM or, you know, on first run or whatever it was, and basically start mm -hmm. to do stuff after deploying the infrastructure with Terraform. It, it was frustrating and it worked, right. didn't work, and more, more, more than often did not work and always came up with issues. Um, even Ansible in itself, I find frustrating. Sometimes it will go through smoothly and the next time it'll just basically fail and you've got to kind of start again. And is, is that what that is for? So I see that as, oh, and I just had a thought when you were talking about that, I could actually use that to some great effect. Um, because we, we're using M0 to deploy the infrastructure. We know what, what's happening. We've got all our projects. And then we can then drop down from the specific runtime, what we want to do, say, install application one. And then basically mm -hmm. it will do that using these controls, which is just that exactly YAML right. file that's dropped into the GitHub repository that you're deploying from. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and it allows us to do, you know, have extensibility into other parts of the deployment and other checks as well. Um, We've got some folks that are right after the Terraform plan is run, um, going through parsing that into JSON and then utilizing a tool such as Checkoff from Bridge Crew in order to do a security check to make sure that the infrastructure that you're about to build is secure. There's no misconfigurations or anything like that. That yeah, way you're, saw, you're kind of adding a check thing. to stop you from doing something wrong. Yeah, I saw the Checkoff thing come out actually. That was quite interesting for the bridge crew thing. So that's like doing after after the fact code analysis and it's using and your it's basically taking advantage of that custom flow exactly and doing that thing. And you've also got something uh, that you guys have built in, um, the TerraTag stuff. Does this talk a bit about the TerraTag stuff? Yeah, so TerraTag is a, um, a bit of software that we um, put together that's part of our deployment of the overall M0 platform. Um, at the same time, we have also broken that out and open sourced it. So if anybody wants okay. to use it, it's on our GitHub free to use. Um, TerraTag is the, um, the, the piece of software that we use during the deployment to tag all of the resources. So it's going to go through and uh, recursively check all of your infrastructure's code files, and it's going to put tags on any of the taggable resources. Now, the key here is that not all resources you're going to deploy are taggable. So we know which ones are. We're going to go and add those tags. And in our platform, that lets you go and do cost over time versus deployment. Okay. So you can take a look at a chart. It'll tell you how much you know your thing has gone up and there'll be a little green line for each of your deployments. So if you have a big spike in cost, you can correlate that to a specific deployment, go back to the Terraform plan and see exactly what changed and why. Right, okay. Again, going back to that naughty DevOps dev that does the wrong thing and you can sort of say, hey, yep. you deployed this then, we've gone <laughs> up by this much. Okay, so how, I'm, I'm interested in how that works. So in terms of the costing, how it, where are you deriving the cost from specifically? Right. So that's um, something that, you know, differentiates us a little bit. There's some folks that do cost, you know, uh, guessing, like this is what we think it's going to cost or this yeah. is an estimation of the possible cost and they're using you know, whatever Amazon or Google or whatever says, this is how much an instance costs. But in the real world, what is the MSRP or the, the you know, retail cost of that instance isn't necessarily what they're actually going to charge you. You may have a different kind of contract with different pricing structures. Yeah. So we're going to do actual real costing. You give okay. us read access into your billing API. When you do a deployment, it's going to go through and tag those resources. Then we're going to scrape that bill and tell you exactly how much that deployment is costing Ooh. you. 
Okay. I can see that being very advantageous for a lot of a lot of people. That's that's any 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 system that derives specific costs, accurate costing right. is a winner, right? And if you can do it on deployment and then work out exactly what has made the cost go up or down versus an actual event. That's exactly really cool right. Well. And if you're so, if you're giving managed self-service where you're giving them access to go through and deploy environments and things yeah. like that, you're not just trying to keep track of, you know, what role they have for access control and if they can do this, you want to make sure that nobody's spending too much or anything like that. So that's why that cost is really important to the holistic view of what's happening in your environments. Yeah, so you need the guardrails in place basically. So can exactly. so with that, can you then put a guardrail to say this project cannot cost more than X amount of dollars. And if it goes over that, basically not approve a deployment. So at this current point in time, uh, we don't have it built into the UI. That is absolutely coming soon. Um, But we absolutely, with the M0 YAML file and the custom flows, you can script a check that, you know, before the Terraform apply, you make a quick call into the API uh, of M0 pull what the current budget is, check it against your budget number, and then either, you know, continue or cancel the pipeline. Okay. Cool. Um, so what clouds do you support? I mean, firstly, is it just Terraform providers for like the likes of Azure, AWS and Google, or do you support like on-premises VMware, vSphere? What are you guys supporting at the moment? We support absolutely any provider that Terraform has to any cloud. Um, so you, you can deploy really wherever you want. We've got some folks that are even deploying on-prem into vSphere. Okay. Uh, we can provide the IP address and the security information for our runtime environment so that you can add that to the firewall to deploy on-prem from SaaS. Yep. Um, we have our uh, AWS stack that's available for a self-hosted agent that does currently require AWS, but that doesn't mean you're locked in there. You can still deploy to whatever cloud you have the provider for. Okay, cool. So you say pretty much any provider from Terraform you guys can basically interact with. Right. Okay. Um, in terms of, I mean, and probably it's a side thing on containerization and Kubernetes, is there anything there that you guys are doing in, in that space? Is that part of the play or what, what's, what's up there? Uh, to us, that's just another kind, kind of environment. If you want to deploy instances, you want to deploy VMs, you want to deploy Kubernetes uh, clusters, it's, you know, it, it makes no difference to us. Cool. Very good. Excellent. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about you know, I think we've, we've gotten a great idea and I've, I've completely sold on the use case. In fact, I'm going to ask you after this <laughs> for some sort of demo sort of environment. Absolutely. I think have a bit of a play, right? So I can, I can see what, how good it is myself. Um, so that's a big sell as, as well. Um, however, what have you guys done in terms of, you know, what's your core innovation that's made you get to this point where the company is? The company is still young, um, but how right. have you initially innovated and disrupted the market. Yeah, absolutely. And um, really, I think the custom flows that we talked about is something really huge for us. We are trying to stay agnostic to all of the different infrastructures code. Now, while we do natively support uh, Terraform and Terragrunt right now, uh, we've actually got customers that are using Azure DevOps with us. They're just scripting it into the custom flow. That way they're able to use the platform for governance, but still access, you know, the you know, ARM templates and things like that that they're using now. Um, so really, we're trying to be able to support any kind of infrastructure's code, uh, which a lot of other platforms are kind of, you know, obviously supporting just Terraform. Terraform Cloud is for Terraform. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another couple that have flat out said, we're not supporting anything except for that. Um, but things like Pulumi, 
these days is getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah, versus Terraform. So yeah. we're definitely going to uh, to support that long term. We know that you know a lot of folks are going to make different choices about what types of um, infrastructure as code they're using. We want to be there for all of that while still providing the same governance and controls on top of that. Okay. So you're basically set up for extensibility from the start. You've obviously yep. disrupted because you've gone and chosen Terraform to start with, which is, again, we've talked about it being de facto widely used. It's a great place to start. Um, and the addressable market is clearly there. The use case is clearly there. So right. that's, that's really cool. Um, in terms of, you know, how are you guys going to continue to disrupt yourselves internally and then continue to disrupt the market? Yeah, um, you know, internally, we're, we're doing everything we can. We are hyper-focused on user experience. Um, and we are always pivoting and changing and reprioritizing based on either what our active customer needs, what meetings we just had with customers to say, hey, this feature would be helpful for me. Um, and I mean, we're even going to the point where we realize that the order in which our template wizard adds things may not be exactly right. So we're flipping it around and testing it and seeing if it's better for the user. That's one thing that I see isn't necessarily happening in a lot of our competitors. Okay. So we're, we're making sure that everything is the best for the user experience from zero to deploy. And we're hoping that not only internally does that kind of shake us up to make sure that we're always you know, focusing on the customer, but long-term, I think that's going to, uh, to be a big disruption out there because uh, we are focusing on exactly what that experience is, making it as easy as possible while still providing all of the features and extensibility that you need to do whatever. Awesome. Sounds really good. All right. Now, just before we wrap up, because, you know, the, like I said, time, this was, goes quick. Eh? We, we, we've already <laughs> yeah. gone through about 30 or so minutes plus. Um, did you just want to, you know, plug a little bit? So talk about where people can find more info about M0, um, any resources that you guys have out there, any offers that you might have? You know, just go for your life here. Hey, absolutely. So um, we're on Twitter at ENVZERO. Uh, we are on YouTube at ENVZERO as a uh, channel. Uh, we've got lots of demo videos and things like that out there for you. Um, we've also got our podcast on Anchor called the ENV, ENV the number zero and cast. Good platform. Um, yep. Uh, the platform, you can find us at ENV, the number zero dot com. Um, that's where you can go through, see a bunch of stuff. You can sign up and start using the platform for free today. Cool. Excellent. And in the show notes, I will put all these links in there. I'll put the... Uh, the link to the YouTube channel, which you're featured on quite heavily um, as the <laughs> main dude over there, you know, yeah. over there. So I've already seen a couple of videos. And again, they're very simplistic videos that go through and give, you know, the viewer the value of M0 as well. So yeah, I'll link all that to the show notes. Um, but with that, um, you can find me at Anthony Spiteri on Twitter at GTWGT podcast and GTWGT.com. If you aren't subscribed, just another reminder, please subscribe down below. Um, and with that, I'd like to thank Tim. Thank you, M0. And we will catch you next time on Great Things with Great Tech. And done. Uh...